This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Kolchak the Night Stalker, episodes 15 and 16. The teenage years, 16 candles, fervent passions, aimless joy rides in the forbidden taste of beer, a time the world allows for sowing one's wild oats. But for some individuals I came to know in this summer of their discontent, it had been a time when they had sown the seeds of their own destruction. Welcome to Continuing Drag, the podcast blossoming into a flower of evil. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Tuna fish. <laughs> so that, we'll get into it, but that second episode's guest stars are insane. Yeah. I'll say right off the bat, I kind of... I like these episodes more than i like the previous ones there's something a little bit uh, off you know well before we get into it jordan i've got a little game for you because it's game time oh okay uh we're it's back my my new favorite game echo oh no it's the uh <laughs> emmy mm-hmm. canadian award yep. hugo yep oscar now you got it now you got it down pat yeah yeah All right, Jordan. How so? This is only basically the writers, directors. These are the only people who have okay. won anything on this show, and they're the main creative team. So we're gonna go with that. Uh, how many Emmys do you think the creative team on this has won jointly? I bet it was more than than uh, uh, some shows we've seen before. I would say six. Jordan, it was eleven Emmys. Oh my gosh! Wow, that's a lot. was it all the Sopranos? Well, yeah, yeah. You have to think David Chase. So that's five for the Sopranos. He got one for a 1980 TV movie called Off the Minnesota Strip and one for The Rockford Files. Oh, The Rockford Files. I forgot about that show. And then there, uh, one of the directors, a, a fellow named Robert Shearer, he won an Emmy for The Danny Key Show in 1964. Hmm. Did you like that show? Yeah, one of my favorite variety talk shows. <laughs> When's the variety show coming back? It's a good question. Never. I don't think, I think it's over. Never, it won't. It, it's over. That time is gone. Yeah, it's it, we, that time in our lives is over, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final person was a uh, writer, Michael Kozel, uh, Kozol, Kozol maybe, and he won three Emmys for Hill Street Blues. Hill Street Blues. I've never seen that show. Me neither. Which was the one? Oh, you know what? I'm mixing it up with uh, uh, T.J. Hooker with uh, oh uh, uh, William Shatner. That never won any Emmys. No, no. <laughs> Um, all right. How many Canadian Screen Awards do you think the creative team won? I think it's actually zero, but I'm going to say one. Oh, it was zero. You're right. This time. It was zero. There are no Canadians involved in this. Well, there was another last time we did this, and they still won one. That's true. That You can never tell who a Canadian will, get, will give an award to. All right, Jordan. How many Hugos do you think this was won? I'm going to say it won one Hugo. Oh, I'm afraid you should you should have thought about who was involved in writing these episodes because there are three Hugos mm. all to Robert Zemeckis. Oh, right, Robert Zemeckis. I you know, I was reminded because he wrote uh, was one of the writers on one of these episodes we're going to talk about. I forgot he was involved. And he won for Contact, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and then he shared one with Bob Gale who also co-wrote this episode or co-wrote the story to this episode for Back to the Future. 
Mm. And finally, Jordan, how many Oscars? Zero. Jordan, it's one. Robert Zemeckis for Forrest Gump, baby. Oh, I forgot about Forrest Gump. <laughs> how could you As forget per usual, about Forrest I for- Gump? Forgot about Forrest. How do you think Forrest Gump's aged? I imagine pretty badly. I think it's one of those movies where everyone loved it. Like it was, it was a huge, huge, critically acclaimed, did well at the box office kind of movie. But I don't know how how uh, how fondly it's remembered. This is this is old hat. I think a lot of people know this these days. But are you aware of the Forrest Gump novel? I, yeah, I do know that it has a quite different tone. Uh, I actually have a friend who has a theory that the whole movie is actually a bit of a satire and it has a mean spirit through it, but I don't think it does. I think that's being generous. No, I think that is what the book is, is a, mere, a mean-spirited satire. <laughs> Not though once you get Tom Hanks involved, you know? No, no, that changes everything. <laughs> What's your favorite Tom Hanks movie? That's a, that's a, I don't know if I have one. <laughs> They're all so good, Jordan. I think I'd say Road to Perdition. I've never seen that one, actually. Yeah, it's pretty good. Watch it this week. We'll talk about it next time. <laughs> I like the ones where he's like a CGI creation. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, those are the other Robert Zemeckis ones. All right. Shall we get into it, Jordan? Yeah, let's do it. Here's the IMDb summary for episode 11, Chopper. Land development disturbs the final resting place of a headless, sword-wheeling cyclist who hunts down and beheads the rival gang bikers who, who killed him. Uh, let me say something about this episode. This has two, I don't know if it's themes is the right word, but two uh, bits of content that seems to run through almost every 1970s show that we watch, which is land development deals and biker gangs. Absolutely, Jordan. I mean, I was like, finally, Kolchak's doing an episode about evil condo developers. <laughs> I bet, you know what, Jordan? What's that? I bet they were, I bet they're pals with Doug Ford. Am I right? <laughs> What a deep cut just for not only Canadians, but uh, Ontarians. <laughs> anyway, these real estate developers, they've somehow they've bought a graveyard. I don't know how you buy a graveyard full of bodies, but they have. And they're going to develop condos on it. So they've moved all of the bodies out of the graveyard just into a warehouse until they figure out what they're going to do with them. Yeah, I wasn't sure how how realistic this is. I'm sure... Uh, like cemeteries and graveyards have been moved before i would assume there is a pretty specific set of procedures that need to be done to move bodies and uh permissions and such this seems a little haphazard but maybe maybe it's just the 70s hey jordan sounds like doug ford's plan to solve the housing crisis am i right (laughs) i love this this is a (laughs) great this is a great great little bit Anyway, what we see is as they're moving these coffins into this like warehouse, it's not even a cold warehouse, it's like a warm warehouse. I don't know what's going to happen. They're moving these coffins in. One of them like knocks against something, breaks open, and a little uh, little cylinder, or uh, what would you call that? Um, an urn. An urn. A metal canister. There we go. A metal canister sort of falls out. <laughs> My brain just shut off right there. And this is like the setup. Like whatever's falling out of this coffin, we know we're in trouble. Um, anyway, after that happens, we cut to an elderly woman waking up to the sound of a motorcycle revving in her garage. That's right. And at this point, they mention that she's an insomniac. So I don't know why she needs to be an insomniac because a motorbike would wake you up regardless. It's just Kolchak. They have to have a huge backstory. So the lady wakes up. She comes down her stairs. She sort of lives on the, it seems like a second floor, comes down the stairs. And what we see is kind of a superimposed, like ghost-like motorbike driving through the uh yeah kool-aid vanning right through that door yeah but it looks 
not good. And I was like, oh no, is this is what it's going to look like for the rest of the show? And the answer is weirdly no. And I don't know why. Only It only has this sort of spectral appearance only in this one scene. Yeah, it was a very weird choice that I never sorted out either. I'm just like, but the ghost is a physical manifestation for the rest of it. So why is it not? And why is it? And so like, it's just so funny. Like it busts through this door spiritually. It, it busts through the ghost of the garage door, but the garage door's physical form is fine. I like that you said it busted through the door spiritually. Um, <laughs> uh, it's very evangelical. I think really what the answer is, uh, is a kind of boring answer. I think it's just, it's a lot cheaper to do this in post, this sort of like overlaying of the film, as opposed to actually having a bike burst through a door. I think that's all the answer is. But it's so weird is they did definitely shoot a bike bursting through a door as well. <laughs> it's probably old footage from something else. That's probably why. Oh, could be, could be. Except it's headless. How could it be? Because this headless biker rides off into the night and tracks down a taxi cab depot. Yeah. And can we talk about the the headless guy real quick before we get into the, the plot mechanics here? Sure. So when we're going to see the, the headless, essentially he's a headless horseman, but it's modern times. It's a headless motorcyclist he's a biker yeah headless headless biker and to give the effect of having him have no head what they've done is they've built up the guy's shoulders and chest to be much taller so where his head actually is the the stunt performer the shoulders have been brought up to his head level so it looks like he has uh uh has has no head and it's a classic halloween costume yeah and it doesn't look great it doesn't look terrible but it doesn't look great and i think the real telltale sign which they could have fixed is the arms because his arms are normal so where the elbow joint is is in the wrong spot on this uh this body so you have this very muppet-esque sort of uh appearance to him and and i could not i couldn't stop looking at the arms it is like the cheapest way to do this effect. I will, I'll give them this. Like, I get it. They don't really. This is not something they excel at. Is these kind of effects necessarily? Yeah. I do like that the top where the head should be is like a sever. Obviously, a severed neck, but there's also just one like white bone just sticking at the top to tell you where <laughs> yeah. the, where the skull is. It made me laugh a lot. Good on the guy, actually, uh, the stunt performer, the stunt driver, who had to drive with. I'm assuming looking through a tiny little hole in his shirt is all he had because he does a ton of uh bike jumps and yeah, yeah. like wheelies and a whole bunch of actual stunts i was like that must be very difficult to do not being able to see very it's well it's kind of the saving grace of the headless biker is that like the bike driving is actually really good so it's kind of yeah. fun to watch this headless biker like do bike stunts <laughs> and he has a sword well that's just it he goes to this cab depot finds this cab driver who i guess is just getting off work pulls a sword out of nowhere and <laughs> yeah. proceeds to behead him <laughs> And uh, this happens a few times in the episode. It's pretty funny that his go-to is just actually just lopping people's heads off. But every time it happens, they sort of do a freeze frame and go to a commercial. So you don't actually see the head get lopped off. But it's it's a, it's a pretty fun. The freeze frame was especially funny in this episode. Because, you know, they can't show the violence of it. So they're they're using like the uh, freeze frame to like shock you. But I believe when he cuts the biker's head off, they freeze frame as he's about to hit it. And then they cut for a reaction shot to the guy who works there. And he's like, oh, my God. And they just cut back to the freeze frame. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's funny. It was very funny. Of course, this all draws Kolchak in. Um, so he he hears about this. He heads down to uh, to the police station or to the, to the cab depot to check it up. And he is immediately stymied by this week's annoyed guest captain, uh, played by Larry Linville. What, what? I knew you would be so excited. You're your hero, Larry. Well, the funny thing is, uh, there's a couple things to mention about Larry Linville, who obviously is from MASH, is what he's most famously for. 
uh, from. And uh, it's weird that we've had two MASH guest stars back-to-back, for one. The second thing I notice, both of them get rather underutilized, I find, for bringing in... Now, I'm not going to say they're the biggest stars in the world, but they were on one of the biggest TV shows, so they're a recognizable face, and they sort of just have a part that anybody could do, which I thought was a little surprising. But I do like that this is the second time uh, Larry Linville showed up on our podcast as he was also in... um, uh, Super Train. I know, I know. I was thinking the same thing. Like he's back, and I will and say, so this, was I... Jamie Farr, but we just didn't watch that episode. Oh, really? <sighs> yeah. Or Super Train. Yeah, and it it's weird that those two were the two that from Bash that kept getting uh, roles. What about Gary Berghoff? Am I right? <laughs> I will say that Larry Linville gets a little more to do than uh, Jamie Farr. He's a few more. Scenes. I agree. And I actually like this. I think they should. This maybe should have been a thing. They should have. Oh, every annoyed like police commander who has to deal with Kolchak every they should have just had it it should have been like Murphy Brown's assistant there should have always been some weird guest star coming right. in to be like Kolchak or the uh the uh, uh the the Batman and Robin uh walking up the side of the building uh, building and the celebrity pops out the window same exactly. sort of thing exactly yeah. and I agree that that actually is a really fun idea it would have been good. I think I think uh, it would have been a funny concept. They would have worked for the show, but whatever. I, I digress. Obviously, police captain doesn't want to help Kolchak. Usual song and dance, blah, blah, blah. So Kolchak goes to see the city mortician to see if he can get some information there. And very sad to see Gordy the Ghoul is no longer there. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Was it Gordy the Ghoul or it wasn't? You, you know, you, it's just a different guy who takes money? It seems to be a different guy who's doing the same thing. He, like, is making Kolchak bribe him to get information. This guy's taking bribes so he can go back to medical school because, as far as I can tell, he's going to be some sort of hair doctor to help with hair laws. <laughs> I didn't catch that at all. <laughs> yeah, I think he's reading a book on hair loss when Kolchak arrives, and then midway through he offers to give Kolchak, like, a diagnosis for his baldness <laughs> or his, like, balding head. At any rate... This whole scene also doesn't really... It's so weird. There's, like, three scenes. Like, we meet the captain. Kolchak, like, gets basic information. He goes to see this mortician. He also gets, like, a little more information, but nothing really of note. And then he goes and visits a guy who owns a motorcycle shop and shows him a picture of, like, tire tracks. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll give it to this. I don't know if it entirely works. The answer is it doesn't entirely work. However, I think this show is a little bit stronger when there's a little bit more investigative sort of things. And I do like that he's actually putting together pieces. And as inconsequential that they may be, it's like, I have a tire, so I'm going to figure out what kind of tire uh, would make those tracks. And so at least it builds on it itself a little bit, as opposed to what this show sometimes does, which is just kind of waste time. And then in voiceover, he talks to someone That's and that gives him the information. At least, at least he's going and finding stuff. You're right. It's a little far fetched to that. A guy selling motorbikes would know a tire based on the tire tracks. But the only thing that's a uh, uh, worth of note of this scene is that he's selling, I'm assuming it's Yamaha. I don't think they mentioned the brand, but seemingly a Japanese brand. Cause he mentions how much he hates the Japanese from the war, but now he's had to forgive them because they, they have real good motorbikes. Yeah, that's how he makes his living selling them. So. <laughs> I was like, I guess I was like, well, I guess it has only been at this point only 30 years since the war. That like that character, I just think all three characters we've met are really interesting in these scenes. The scenes themselves are just like very odd and provide very little forward momentum, but you're like meet a interesting yeah. character in every single scene. All unrelated to the central plot, of course. Yeah. He learns the motorcycles from an old 50s tire that used to go on these bikes from the 50s, and they were frequently used by two rival outlaw motorcycle gangs, the Jokers and the Bishops. And so this kind of gives him his, like, a little bit of information. Now, quickly, who would you rather be a member of, Luke? 
you got to choose. Oh, it's going to be the bishops because I get to wear those hats. Mm, I'll take the jokers. Because <laughs> you want to wear that makeup and say, why so serious? <laughs> um, at any rate, uh, Koltek ends up back at the INS office. And we get this like the, this one, as they do with the side characters, is give them like barely a thread of like a Z plot, basically. But the Z plot is Vincenzo has an, ultra, an ulcer, so he's trying to be calmer about things. And like that just leads to him, gags of him like wanting to eat junk food but he has to eat it like a salad and then he likes like i'm gonna order a knish instead i like it's just it's such a nothing is the implication that vincenzo's a real big fat guy because he's not that fat he's a little yeah. bit portly i'd say but they seem to really lean into it like he's a real piggy and <laughs> like he's not really yeah i don't know there's a weird subplot that he's very unhealthy but i just feel like kolchak would be so much more unhealthy. <laughs> agreed what I do like, though, is when uh, Vincenzo asks Carl, like, kind of the story he's working on, I believe what he says to Carl is he says, quote, whip it on me, as the kids say. <laughs> I, I didn't remember that line at all. That would have been what's real. Whip it on me? Whip it on me. <laughs> oh, I'm going to try it tomorrow at work. How do you think it will go? Great. I think people are going to love it. Yeah. Whip it on me. And then I'm going to add baby. Yeah. People love it when you add baby to any sentence. <laughs> Anyway, Carl sort of tells him the story about the beheading and the biker, or no, the biker, the cab driver. And, you know, he, he there's a few angles that Vincenzo is sort of interested in. But uh, Kolchak's like, no, no, I'm not taking any of those angles about police, uh, like police malpractice or biker gangs. I'm really leaning toward pursuing the supernatural, superhuman killer angle. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, classic Kolchak. Yeah, it, yeah. It's in his character, to be fair. And uh, you can only imagine what that says to Vincenzo's also. Am I right, George? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the weird thing about this gag, because I actually think these scenes are, they're cute, and they're always uh, pretty welcome in the show to go back to the office and have this little bit of levity. But what's weird is the implication that he has stomach problems because he overeats when it's much more clear and makes more sense that it's just all because of Kolchak. Yeah, and I the mean, stress I that he induces doing a mix of that, like his his diet and the stress. So now he has to like get help. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's all such a like a minor like color to the episode at, at best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At any rate, Miss Emily has been able to track down the uh, the only witness to the beheading at the cab place, and he's been committed to an asylum. Um, in a room he shares with like two like comically insane people i was weird such a weird yeah and it's played for laughs but it's so incredibly insensitive especially in modern times now and uh uh conversations uh, conversations around mental health to have it sort of be like crazy people and they're yelling things can you believe it isn't that zany it's like man that's actually really sad (laughs) it's very sad um but the witness swears to kolchak that the assailant he saw killed a man was a headless biker who had a sword and was driving the same sort of motorcycle that the victim always talked about driving in a biker gang in the 50s. So this really, you know, sets Kolchak on the path of this, like, supernatural killer. Uh, another question for you, Luke. Let's say you're killed in some sort of uh, gagland violence, and uh, your ghost gets to come back for revenge. What form are you taking? Is it motorbike with no head? Motorbike? Oh, I believe I am um, podcaster with no mouth. <laughs> oh, no. You just You just sit in front of a microphone? I, like, show up with a microphone and, like, rip people's tongues out. <laughs> it's it's me and whoever replaces you after you died. You're yeah, like, I, hunt, I no. hunt you down. <laughs> oh, I, if I had my tongue torn out, what a horrible uh, punishment. Oh, it wouldn't be pleasant. Believe me, the way I do it, whew, you won't like it. Can't whistle anymore. Can't French kiss. 
can't your, uh your top two hobbies <laughs> <laughs> always it's one after the other anyway uh Kolchak then goes and it, like it, this is also weird it's nice to see larry uh Lindholm, is that his name linville yeah linville it's nice to see him but he goes and like pulls a fast one on the celebrity guest police captain yeah where he shows up and like feeds him some weird lines about the victim being like part like the heir to some fortune which he's clearly making up and somehow that like the captain like doesn't believe him but it like compels the captain to like reveal all the investigative information he's put together yeah well what it basically again how much how it works i don't know it's sort of played for laughs but what it is is it's not really a reverse psychology it's he knows that this captain is a little bit insecure in his job and wants to prove how good he is and how much he knows and so Kolchak goes, yeah, this bit of information about the guy, which is clearly wrong. And the guy keeps saying, that's not right. It's this. And it's not right. It's this. So he just unintentionally gives gives Kolchak all the information he needs. Which, again, I at least like that we get to see him using his smarts, if you will, to get the information in, in multiple ways. You know, he, he goes to odd people and gets a little bit of information. He goes to another odd person. He goes to the police chief and tricks him. And so... At least in this episode, we get to see his sort of um, odd process of yeah. uh, putting together a story. I think that's very fair. And you get a little extra of the guest star. Like, I can see why you'd put the scene there. So, yeah. At any rate, what he kind of learns is that the cabbie who died, his wife and sister were all part of the Jokers in the 50s. They were all, like, friends with these guys. And My gang. Them... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, one, and one of the guys there who they were friends with was the head of the Jokers, a guy named Stud Spake. And... Uh, he is now the head of a new Becker gang called the Devil's Advocates. <laughs> they're always they're always looking at things from the outside perspective, you know? It's absolutely. They're always like, what if we looked at it a little different? <laughs> so Kolchak goes and drops in on this cabbie's funeral. And when he gets there, he sees this studs guy with his new bikers. They're all hanging out there. And this was wild, too. He arrives. They're clearly not welcome, the bikers, at the funeral. But mm-hmm. they're there to say goodbye to their friend. And they're all wearing swastikas. Whoa, I didn't see that. Were they? Yeah, they're all wearing swastikas. And I'm just like, well, I mean, accurate to white supremacist bikers, I suppose. But I'm like, how many times are we going to tune into the show in that speech? (laughs) That is, uh, you know, what's funny, Uh, Luke, I didn't see it. Well, you just assumed they were Hindu again this time. (laughs) That's what it was. Yeah. At any rate, um, Stud sort of re- reveals to Kolchak that the other night while he was, like, doing his day job, which is, like, telephone repairman or something, he's, like, up a pole, uh, a headless biker attacked him that night. And not only did he attack him, Studs is like, I'm pretty sure I knew who that is. And he was buried at that cemetery they dug up. And, like, all his friend bikers just start making fun of him and, like, really joshing him for being, like, crazy. And they get tossed out of the funeral. <laughs> Yeah, it was a weird scene. I wasn't sure at first what the whole point of the scene was. Because really what it is is to give that little bit of information and then have Kolchak meet the uh, the widow, the, the taxi driver who's died. Yeah, meet his 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 wife. And yeah, like they get tossed out by her. And then Kolchak kind of goes to talk to the wife and like sort of is like, hey, like, what do you know about a guy who might be headless trying to kill your friends? <laughs> and she just like gets really emotional and like pretend she pretends to be very sad over her husband's death. And that and Kolchak just is uncomfortable with any emotion, and he just runs away. Yeah, it was an effective strategy. It worked. It totally worked. I, I give her credit for that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, since INS has been reporting on this cemetery uh, where the condos are being built, Kolchak's already aware of what's been happening, kind of where this warehouse full of bodies is. So he like he's going to go. He's going to go check it out since that Studs guy was talking about it. And when he arrives, he finds Studs is already there. 
poking around the coffins looking for something. Now, as Studs is doing this, a headless biker shows up, the one we were expecting. He rolls in. He does a couple bike jumps, leaps leaps some coffins, chops this guy's head yeah. off. A cop car pulls in. He jumps that cop car, too. He's a real evil Knievel headless biker and uh, takes off, and Kolchak witnesses the whole thing. Does he get a photo at this point? Oh, no, he does. He does. But, but the photo he gets is, like, cropped at the exact spot where the guy's head would be. Yeah, yeah. He, I think he shows the general. He's like, he's like, you cropped the guy's head off, and he's like, no. Well, if you was a little higher, you'd see there was no head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is which. Funny. It's it's fine. It's it's a way to get around that he gets a photo, but it's not it's not usable at all. It's true. And you know, Kolchak kind of has all these details now, so he kind of goes through old papers from the fifties, and he and he finds an article about a bishop's biker who had been decapitated, and how the head was never found. A, a biker named Harold Swordman Baker. <laughs> don't you hate nicknames like that i mean if you want to be known for your sword call yourself sword man i guess yeah it's like um uh marvelous marvel and Hagler. remember the the boxer of the 80s he died recently but he uh his nickname was marvelous um and it really irritated him that people weren't calling him marvelous so he legally changed his name to marvelous marvin Hagler. good for, good for him just just like really force people to get there yeah, there you go. He's he's like, you don't want to call me that, huh? Guess what? I mean, it's kind of like how you tell everyone to call you Wet Spaghetti Jordan. <laughs> That's right. I, I'm actually, on Monday, I'm going to go get my uh, name changed. Yeah, yeah. You'll be like, whip it to me, and then pull a Wet Spaghetti <laughs> to your pocket and slap them. <laughs> that all works out together. Exactly. Anyway, as he so he finds this article, he's like, all right, now I know the guy who is the headless, whore, the headless biker in this scenario. And as he's looking at it, Miss Emily's like, hey, you seem to be really into beheadings this week. You should really go check out that guillotine exhibit downtown. <laughs> that was the weirdest segue in this episode. That, like, I like that that's the whole exhibit. It's just like, we have a guillotine from, uh, seemingly from the French uh, Revolution. And it was just like, sure, that's happening? Okay, sure, that works out It is so funny, because well. that's like a Kolchak staples, like, to go talk to an expert on yeah. the subject matter. And for some reason, the subject matter this time is beheadings? It's like, go talk to the beheadings expert at the guillotine exhibit. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be like, that's a clean cut. I'm not 100% sure who this guest star is. I feel like this was somebody who probably was, like, on TV at the time because he's clearly, like, there as a bit, a bit of a cameo. Yeah, I didn't know who he was either. And he actually does a really great job. I, I actually was one of my favorite scenes because he, like, Kolchak shows up and he's, like, setting up for this exhibit and he's like, you want to write a story about an exhibit? That'd be good for press. And then Kolchak just wants to cover the spooky angle. And this guy's just like, there, there's nothing spooky about the French Revolution, my man. <laughs> Yeah. Do, do you think it just gets frustrating for everyone involved when Kolchak's sometimes just looking for stuff that's spooky? He's like, I lost my keys. He's like, it must be a ghost. Let's look into it. You're like, Kolchak, no, you're just, you just lost your keys. Like picks up the phone. He's like, you're a locksmith. Uh, what's spooky about keys? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know the answer to this question. So. Exactly. They should do an episode like that where he just keeps uh, jumping to conclusions. Um, but he does get this guy to uh, recall a legend from the French Revolution in which uh, occasionally when a body was beheaded, they would perhaps bury the body away from the head. And then the rumors were the corpse would reappear and like get revenge until the heads were reunited with the bodies. And this basically somehow gives Kolchak all the information. Like, Kolchak, you could have figured this one out on your own. What's also interesting is that something that's a little different than other episodes of Kolchak and the next one we're going to watch or talk about is that it's just in general with with bodies apparently in history and in the world if you take someone's head off and don't bury it with the body that person will come back and look for their head it's not like that person also was possessed or that person had 
uh, black magic put on them or there was a demon or something. It's just like, no, that's just what happens with bodies. Perfectly normal thing. If you take a head away, yeah. <laughs> the body's got to get it back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then cut to uh, that cab driver's wife's sister is getting decapitated in the street. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so many people get decapitated in this episode. There's like five people, maybe. It's so great. It's just cut away. It's like, and the, Nicole Tech's like, and then that cab driver's wife's sister got off work. I'm like, whoa, a lot of, a lot of pieces to get through. Well, they were just like, they're like, she used to be in a gang years ago, but now she works at a bakery or something. And then the the woman who's playing the role looks like she's maybe 20. I'm like, when was she part of the biker gang? When she was 10? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's so quick, too. It's like over in a second. And then we cut to the cabbie's wife's house. She's hastily packing her bag. She's getting out of town. Yeah. Which, fair. Uh, Kolchak shows up to talk to her. She basically comes clean about everything. She's just like, yeah, like it was me, my sister, my my soon-to-be husband, this studs guy. And also, there was this fifth guy we haven't talked about up till now. He was also with us. And <laughs> we set up a hilarious prank for our rival biker, Swordman Baker. We tied a wire across the road to knock him off his bike but we set it a little too high and it lobbed off his head there's a couple things i thought after this one not hilarious at all if it worked out the way they intended which is just to knock someone off a motorbike you have really hurt the person at worst even if it was at chest level you still could have killed the guy if he was going fast enough on the bike he would have lost an arm or two yeah, it's just, it was awful. What an awful prank. I love that that's how they, like, the best thing the writers came up with. How did he lose his head? Oh, it was just due to horseplay. <laughs> and anyway, this this new fifth character she mentions that we've never heard about before, this fifth biker who was part of their gang, apparently he kept the man's head when they found it in a canister as a trophy for a few weeks. And why did he do that? Biker cred, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but of course, back in the 50s when he was doing this, a headless biker appeared, lobbed off this dude's head, at which point Studs, the uh, guy, the the, uh, the leader of the biker gang, faster than Kolchak ever did, didn't have to talk to any beheading experts. He put one and one together, <laughs> dug up that man's grave, returned the head in the canister to that grave, beheading stopped. Isn't it funny, though, that they have to add all this backstory, how there was another headless biker like previously who was also doing this but like it doesn't really have anything to do with the episode other than reveal who this guy is who again it doesn't really matter i just thought it was such an odd thing to be like hey by the way this happened before you're like why what does it matter it's like well it doesn't really they had to say they had to explain it that way because if you because if the idea is if you cut the head off a person and separate the body they hunt you down and kill you but it's been 20 years since then. So the they're, they're, writers are like, oh, how are we going to explain why the biker is just killing them now? And they're like, oh, well, let's have it that they returned his head 20 years ago. And now the head's fallen out again. So now they're back in trouble. Right, right. So it's, you're not wrong. It's a really long path. but Yeah, it's just it, it seems like I don't know. It seems like a couple lines of dialogue could have could have could just. It, just make it a contemporary much, much biker gang. Make it happening to a contemporary biker gang. Like this guy got lost his head a week ago. Yeah, because they want to have him riding a 1950s bike. But why? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> anyway, so she, the wife comes clean with all this stuff. And then like they hear, they hear the roar of an engine outside and that ring, a, a ring of the doorbell. And uh, it's very funny. She's like, uh, Kolchak, would you uh, get the door? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Classic. I mean, Classic. I would do that too. It's a good. It's a good bit. Kolchak opens, and of course, it's uh, celebrity police captain Larry Linville there, and he's he's basically deduced all the same information as Kolchak, 
but he's come to the conclusion that these killings are just retribution by a living biker for this previous death. Which, to be fair to Larry, is probably Far a more, more plausible. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And let me let me just stop real quick about this. Almost every episode, not everyone, but very close to it, has a captain or a lieutenant or someone that uh, from the police force that Kolchak is going to kind of butt heads with a little bit. Yeah, it's either that um, or the captain of a boat. Right. That's right. Oh, I forgot about that episode. That was a werewolf one, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, but what what's weird, though, is especially in this episode, and, it, and it's been in previous episodes, the police haven't really done anything. But I think the viewer is supposed to dislike them just because they are obfuscating or they're standing in Kolchak's way. But especially, I noticed it in this episode, Captain Larry Linville, he's not doing anything really bad to Kolchak, but I I get the sense that we're supposed to dislike him just because he's the, a police officer. Yeah, the reason we're supposed to dislike him is when we see him off the top, he he just seems a little bit anti-press. Like, he doesn't want Kolchak to report things before he's told about them. So I think we're just supposed to think he's... He, I believe they talk about the freedom of the press right off the top, like he's anti-freedom of the press. Yeah, but but I will... <laughs> not, not to harp on this too much. I will make the argument, though, I think the police not wanting to release information about murders and things generally have pretty good reasons as to, you know, ongoing cases and things. So it just, I don't know, it just rings a little bit hollow for me. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's 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 a weak, it's a weak premise on this thing. Like it is more than that 70s mistrust of the police is kind of a shorthand for all of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I know you've got your Blue Lives Matter sticker, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. That's a joke, everyone. Jordan's cool. It's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm all right. Anyway, uh, Kolchak heads out of this t- lady's house, and she's just like, I just got to go find I know what's up. I, the police aren't going to help. I'm going to go find that head back at that coffin warehouse I was at earlier. He goes back. He, he he finds the broken coffin that Baker was buried in, and there's no body inside now. So he's like, well, yeah. this has to be the one. And clearly, that body's off doing something. <laughs> he then finds the canister, opens it up. There's a skull inside, and he's like, did it. I found the skull. And as soon as he finds it, like, the headless biker shows up and starts menacing Kolchak, to which Kolchak's point is like, I, why are you mad at me? I haven't done anything. But what has to be my favorite way Kolchak has ever defeated one of his enemies is the biker rides at him, and he just, like, half-heartedly throws the skull at the biker, and yeah. the biker just, like, falls over. Yeah, like, I wasn't sure how it was going to work. I mean, look, if they had all the money in the world, what would have been cool is the head actually goes right back onto the body. But what it it just looks like is yeah he half heartedly lobs it hits in the chest it falls on into the ground and is now a fully formed skeleton, a fully formed skeleton on a on the rusted remains of an old motorcycle. That's right. Yeah, a nineteen fifties one that is very uh, has very uh, noticeable tires, very particular tire tracks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and it closes with the classic Kolchak monologue at the end where he's talking to his dictaphone saying. For some reason, Vincenzo won't publish my story about the headless motorcycle driver. <laughs> and then, I think sort of to your point about, like, the police in this episode, he concludes by saying, well, at least Captain Larry Linville was busted down to sergeant for some reason. And I'm like, I don't know what he did wrong to get busted down to sergeant. I know. And that's and that's what made me start thinking about it. I was like, oh, I guess, I guess he got his comeuppance for doing his job quite well. Well, that's it. If you think about his storyline, he didn't want to share information with Kolchak, but that's not something to get bust you down. The police like that on this show. And he had basically pieced literally the whole crime together from 20 years ago. And who did it? 
and had concluded a rival biker gang was now seeking retribution. Very plausible. So really, he would still be on that case of trying to find that problem. Like, there, nothing ends yeah. this case. But it's just like, don't you hate him? Because he's got that face. And poor, as I said this before, I think, with Larry Linville, unfortunately, the guy's got a real hateable face. I'm sure he was a delightful man, but he's just got a face that you just like to hate. Well, that's why I got busted down to Sergeant. There you go. All right, Jordan, you ready for the next one? Yeah, which I, I think, Luke, and you can, I don't know how you feel, I think this is the best title so far of, of all Kolchak episodes. I think it's my favorite title. Well, here's the end summary for episode 16, Demon and Lace. <laughs> it was Goethe who said we love girls for what they are. Well, even the great Goethe could have learned something from the tale that took place on the campus of Illinois State Tech. A succubus takes over the bodies of recently deceased young women so it can seduce and kill young college students. I can't believe it's taken 16 episodes to get to a succubus, huh? I will say this. I was surprised how tastefully done the succubus was. Aren't you, weren't you blown away? When I uh, saw the premise for this episode before I watched it, I thought, oh man, it's Porky's time, you know? It's going to be college. It's going to be grab ass. There's going to be uh, towel yeah, snapping. I to get real seedy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, crazy, crazy. Um, but the episode all takes place at Illinois State Tech and begins with a real dude bro driving his car around uh, at night. And as he's driving, an attractive lady steps into the road and he pulls over and she's like, gives him a little a little sexy eyes. And he's like, get in my car. Let's go make out beside the pond. Yeah. And uh, here's something I realized. I've never picked someone up and gone and made out in the grass with them. You ever done that, Luke? I have not. But he's a football star. So who knows what happens in his life? <laughs> Hold on. He doesn't uh, do a science fiction podcast. <laughs> well, that doesn't happen to you with that science fiction podcast, eh? That's not you're not driving home through the woods no. at night. Like, wait a minute. Did you do an episode on Super Trade? Come here, you. Good that your tongue hasn't been cut off. Not yet. <laughs> at any rate, they, they're making out, and it's like it's a fine scene. Like it works pretty well. They're making out, and then you see like the hand in the back of his neck is now suddenly like the hand of a desiccated corpse, and he pulls yeah. back, and now she's just like this like rotted out corpse, like really fun looking makeup, and he just starts screaming. By the way, I love that that's a trope uh, through movie and TV, which is generally a a guy kissing a girl, and almost always it's the woman because becomes something hideous or scary or gross and it's and i think there's this weird emasculating thing or something about wouldn't it be crazy if you're kissing someone really pretty and then they were ugly well i mean you can't gender swap it because all men are gross (laughs) (laughs) true (laughs) at any rate kolchak of course arrives the next day at the crime scene i think he was like reporting something nearby so he drives up to check it out Mm -hmm. and the lead investigator on the scene is a returning captain from a previous episode (laughs) Yeah, it's so it's I can't remember the captain's name. I'm sure you have it written down, but he's the guy with the mustache and he's the one in a previous episode, which I don't even remember which Sergeant one. Sergeant Mad Dog Cisco. Oh right, Mad Dog. And he uh he's the one who was using I think it was some sort of therapy or something to try to um work on his temper, but that is out the roof because now we get to see what he's like all the time and the answer is grumpy. I did like it. Coltex's like, I guess you quit therapy. He's like, Yes. <laughs> um at any rate, uh He's investigating. There two. They found two bodies on campus that morning. Uh, the the football player gentleman who died of fright. He's got a very yeah. scared look on his face. They say. Well, yeah, he's he's seemingly had a heart attack, but his face is it, it like in a stuck in a shocked position. And the, <laughs> shock position, shocked, uh, bleh, whatever. You know, you know what we mean. He looks scared. <laughs> and uh, a woman's with him, obviously, but she looks like she did when she was young. She doesn't look like the desiccated corpse. She looks young. 
and they note like she seems to have died of an overdose. She has track marks all over her mm-hmm. arm. Um, and so it's sort of a, a bit of a mystery. And there's this weird thing that happens here is they introduce there's a student reporter there, a very Kolchak esque student reporter, a young woman named uh, what's her name? Uh, Rosalind Winters. Yeah, Rosalind, yeah. And, like, Kolchak's obviously badgering Mad Dog for information. And, and then Rosalind sticks her nose in. And she's trying to get in there and badger for some information, too, because she's, like, the student reporter. And, obviously, the cop is rude to her because that's what you'd expect is the cops are rude to Kolchak. But then Kolchak turns around and is also incredibly rude to her. I thought it was going to pay off in some way, but it's just that Kolchak doesn't respect her as a reporter or he's too busy on his case to be empathetic at all i'm not really sure what it was because i thought it was going to be a bit of a team up as i've i don't know why i keep thinking it's going to happen on this show because this show they have zero interest in having anyone work with kolchak it's just it's never going to happen it's such a setup for a team up like it's just like when they had that young assistant at the uh at the station or at the news report marblestein marblestein it's exact it's the exact same person you're like oh well obviously he's going to team up with this young reporter and they're going to go on a little adventure because she's even like for some reason, it's so weird. Kolchak mentions in, I think, in his monologue, he's like, and as I pulled up to the crime scene, I ran out of gas. So he, like, is asking everyone for a ride to a gas station. So she's like, I'll take you, Kolchak. Get on my scooter. And she drives Kolchak to a gas place. And she's telling Kolchak, she's like, hey, like, I- I'm a student reporter. I'm pretty good. You Like, something you don't know is this is the second case where a young man and young woman have been discovered dead in very similar circumstances. And Kolchak's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's really interesting. And then he just is rude to her again. She's like, why are you being so mean to me? And she just, she leaves him there. But I'm just like, why aren't they teaming them up? Why is Kolchak just mean to her? It doesn't make any sense. It's just, they just don't want him teaming up for some reason. It's, it's an odd thing, which sometimes it doesn't always, but sometimes it hurts the show when it makes sense. It makes sense for him to be with someone who could present information from a different angle, but they just don't want to do it. Or split up and do the thing. Like, there's someone else to be in peril. Like, it all makes sense from a writing perspective, mm-hmm. but they're not interested. Anyway, this scene goes on to the first of two bizarre guest star scenes where Kolchak goes to talk to a football coach at the university who provides him next to no information, but played by <laughs> Jackie Vernon, stand-up comedian from the 50s and 60s. Jackie Vernon is this football coach. Yeah, and it, and the really only part of the scene that's uh, worthwhile is when he says tuna, which is what I said at the beginning of this episode. He's sort of, uh, I think what they're implying here is Kolchak starts asking him questions about how healthy were these guys because they were football players and they seemingly were in, they're young, they're in good Yeah, they shouldn't have died condition. of a heart attack. And he's basically like, yeah, we do check, you know, all these athletes and they are fine, but... He's like, I think he died from bacteria, is what he says. And I think this is a uh, shorthand. I think what he's trying to imply is maybe STIs, but he says bacteria, and then he yeah, because he says brings out a can of tuna and says tuna as the solution. Yeah, because he said like that's what he says. He's like the only thing that was weird about them is they were playboys, so they probably got bacteria. And I'm just like, I, so this is venereal diseases you're trying to play? I like it. It's such a short scene. All it does is establish that they were healthy. And you never see this man again. <laughs> but you're right. That, that is the point of the scene. The point of the scene is, in case you as a viewer think, oh, no, the reason this person died was of a natural heart attack, which you would never think because you've seen the little ghoul kill the person. They have to add this scene in so the guy can make 
jokes about how tuna keep you healthy or something. Yeah, they needed Jackie Burton in there somewhere for some reason. <laughs> it's very odd. Anyway, they they cut to that night, and a, a a boyfriend and girlfriend are returning home from a date. They're they're quite drunk. <laughs> They've had something to drink, and as they're climbing the stairs of the apartment, the girlfriend slips and like falls down the staircase and snaps her neck and dies at the bottom of the staircase. I have to say, the stunt performer who did this, it is really well done. It looks quite painful falling down the stairs. <laughs> it's a nice, a nice little bit. And like the boyfriend checks and he's like, oh, no, I think she's dead. And he runs and grabs the phone to call an ambulance. And when he turns around, the body's vanished. And as he'll tell Kolchak later, there's the scent of like weird rotting flesh and death in the air. He knows this because he was in Vietnam. <laughs> That's I go, Ooh. Uh, but that is the first time we get this extra bit of information that when this weird sort of thing is happening with dead uh, the dead bodies and the somehow rising from the grave zombification is there is this putrid odor yes yes and this and this dead woman she immediately appears at a frat house where a student who assists an archaeology professor who we'll get to know a little later at the university lives and she like just knocks on his door and she's like i've seen you around and i'm really into you and he's just like oh so you why don't you come on in and we can like maybe do some kissing also has never happened to me i've never just uh answered my door and a lady said can i come on in because what i would say is no thank you it's a long life ahead of you jordan it could happen it could still happen one time, a really uh, odd guy came to the door and asked to use my phone, and I did let him use my phone, and then he wouldn't give the phone back, and it became a whole big thing. But anyways, that's <laughs> that's not why he called. <laughs> that's that's a real story you've got there. I knew he was peculiar at first, but I kind of felt bad for him, and I was like, oh, I don't know, should I give him my phone? And the answer was no. Uh, but you answered yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yes ended it. Anyway, um, this assistant, he works for a Professor Sp- Spat, I believe, which is very funny because I think we had Spud Spack last episode. Now we have Professor Spat this episode. I don't know what's going on with his naming convention. Which professor is he? Is he the one that wears the one piece outfit with the cravat? Yes, he's the one straight out of 1974. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he's really hitting the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Half open shirt cravat necklace in his like chest hair it's all there yeah the two of them have been translating a ten thousand year old sumerian tablet recently discovered by a researcher who went to iran and went insane after finding it yeah professor whitehead is the guy's name yes yes um so this his assistant has now been killed by another recently deceased woman in his apartment and of course the next day the police mad dog's there he's 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 interviewing the other frat boys he's looking into it kolchak like Pratt falls through a door and is caught snooping. There's one interesting thing about uh, this scene, and it, it happened earlier, and I didn't really notice, but I went back and checked. I guess it's just in terms of t- to, to keep things at a clip in this episode, but they interview people quite literally standing over the dead bodies. 100%. And I can't imagine that is pop- proper police procedure because it's very odd to see. Like, literally, it's like, can you imagine your friend has been murdered and then they're asking you questions about it? But the dead body is at your feet. Like, at one point, they're literally in between the guy's legs. I was like, take him out of the room. Go interview him in the, it like. Jordan, I just wave you in and I point like, "Eh, what's this all about? (laughs) What's going on here? But but, but uh, to the people's credit, no one seems to be that upset. Like, again, if it was a friend of mine and they had one died, I'd be so heartbroken, let alone having to see the body. But they're just like. Yeah, I don't know. He was a football player. Oh, look, he's Jordan, there, dead Jordan. on the floor. <laughs> They've what? all been to Vietnam. <laughs> he's like, this is nothing like that family I blowtorched. 
But basically, Kolchak gets caught, gets tossed out, but he kind of gets enough information to go track down the boyfriend who watched his girlfriend die on the stairs the day before. And this is where the guy's just like, it's really weird. She disappeared. I definitely know she was dead because of my time in Vietnam. I love that this is the shorthand for it. <laughs> and like, Kolchak's just like, this is getting very interesting. So he's like, yeah. I better go talk to this episode's other bizarre guest star in another very bizarre scene. He goes to visit a... I guess she's in charge of the school's records. She's a bureaucrat in charge of the school's records. Yeah. And it is Caroline Jones, better known as Morticia Adams, working there. Oh, that's who it was. I couldn't recognize her. Yeah, Morticia Adams there. And he just wants to get student records out. And they just have a weird, I think, played for comedy scene where she just tells him all the forms he needs to fill out. And they just do a weird, like, jokes about bureaucracy. And he never gets those records, as far as I can tell, and she never comes back. There's a certain playfulness of this episode that isn't always in the show, and I I think I kind of liked it. I don't know if I would like it all the time, but there was something just sort of fun about it. I was like, sure, why not? But but you're right. In terms of the structure of the, of the episode, it serves no function. So he went to go talk to the gym teacher, who gives him no information. He goes to this lady, who gives him no information. He does eventually go back to the archaeologist-type professor. But the first couple times he goes, he gets nothing. Yeah, it's it's very odd. And it's, I was, like, shocked. So I'm like, what a great idea for a guest star on Kolchak is to have Morticia at, like, it, it, perfect sense. Like, it's just like, that's a perfect piece of guest casting. She's mm-hmm. in 40 seconds of it complaining about paperwork. Yeah. Anyway. Kolchak goes back to INS, the newspaper, and he starts, like, piecing together that all the dead women at all these scenes had actually all deceased earlier, records of them dying in other places earlier in the day and then being at these scenes. So it doesn't really line up, like, how can they be dead earlier in the day and then also be dead at the crime scenes? And one of my favorite parts of this episode is Vincenzo, he's decided he wants INS now to be, like, a fun, happy newspaper, so he hates this story. He's just like, no, no, we're only good news at this paper now. Yeah, he basically is like... Uh, news is depressing. People are getting tired of depressing news. Why don't we just do uplifting stories? Sort of like, you know, you see on local news, like local puppy found, you know, and that's all he wants to do. And then the the kind of uh, push and pull of this is he's telling Kolchak and getting more and more excited about it. And Kolchak's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, I got this story about all these dead teenagers. Yeah. Well, and my favorite part of it is like... Kolchak, I mean, Vincenzo hates the story and he's just like, Kolchak's just like, but listen, it's crazy. The women were dead hours before they were found at the crime scenes with the men who died with them. And Vincenzo just says, listen, that's not a story, man. It just goes to prove the youth of today are depraved. And I was like, is Kolchak saying he assumes necrophilia is happening on all campuses in America? <laughs> there's there's another thing in the scene, though, uh, which also has nothing to do with the episode, which is they're working on crosswords. And by the way, did you, did you love how uh, Miss Emily has to make a crossword? She's got like a big board where she's moving letters around and i was like is that how oh, they do yeah. crosswords anyways um, i love that but too. uh it, long way to say they're going through all this stuff and eventually gets to the point where vincenzo mentions that he used to play drums and he is in a band in the 1940s called tony vincenzo's neapolitans i know i was also interested in, and uh, i was like i'd like to know about vincenzo's band yeah. <laughs> but it's good this episode has uh whoever the writer was there's just a real kind of upbeat feeling to this episode and i think it maybe hit me at the right time when i watched it where i was just like sure more silliness that doesn't add to anything why not yeah i mean they're cute scenes you're right they don't add anything but like they're fun to cut to for sure i mean yeah Kolchak kind of leaves the office and he goes to talk to that professor spat i think he's done it a few times in the episode but he's there he's talking about the, the various dead assistants he now has and um 
he like it's it's a fun Kolchak scene where Kolchak shows up. He poses. He's posing as an archaeology journalist to get in the door, basically. Yeah. And they're talking about the Sumerian tablet he's translating, and uh, the professor sort of explaining the various words that have been translated. And one of them is the word mint. And it, he's like, it could be, uh, you know, something. It might be a recipe of some sort. And Kolchak's, oh yes, a recipe. Probably something for uh, lamb, I would assume, because it has some mint jelly on it. And the guy's just like, what? What are you talking about? And Kolchak, of course, just embarrasses himself, and he gets like. He's like, oh, so you don't know anything about archaeology. Yeah. Also, to be fair, this seemed dumb even for Kolchak in terms of like, not that Kolchak's dumb, but like, you know, he's he's always kind of thinking on his feet and it does isn't always the best. He doesn't go always go about in the best way. But this seemed like, I'm like, Kolchak, come on, you're smarter than this. It's true. I mean, all it's there for is so he can see the tablet and learn, learn the term Sumerian so he can figure out his next piece of clues. Right. Um, which, of course, then we cut to, uh, apro- like, we just cut away. Some woman is ha- having a nap on her couch. She's left the gas on her stove. <laughs> She's dead. So guess who's getting uh, possessed by the succubus next? Yeah. What, what a, um, a, a sad thing, though. It's, they just mentioned that she was tired, so she went down for a nap, and she was making coffee on the stove while she was doing that. And that's what killed her. I'm like, oh, this poor lady. It was it was a very tragic way to die. <laughs> but she, like, obviously her she her body disappears immediately and next we see it her body her possessed body is now at the campus she's hooking up or she's like trying to hook up she's basically met this student who's on his way to a job interview with the professor to be her his new assistant and this student like goes to this job interview with a woman he just met and he's like kind of on a date with he's just shows up and he's just like hey i'm here to talk to you about your uh, assistant position also i brought this girl i met with me (laughs) Um, two things I'll mention about that. One, one, the professor is like into it. He's like, why haven't you introduced me to this beautiful creature? I'm a 1970s gross prick. And uh, that's the one thing I want to mention. You just don't and like that second, mustache. <laughs> the, the second thing I'll mention is this actually happened to me once at work where someone brought their wife. And uh, I won't go into it, but I said the wife had to leave because we were at work. You didn't say who is this beautiful creature? <laughs> No, I said, why did you bring your wife? And they were like, oh, because reasons. And I said, she has to stay outside. Sorry, this is a workplace. He, he, wanted, her, he wanted her to come into the, just hang out for the day? Yeah, and I just said, no, because, I, because I'm I'm Vincenzo, and I don't have a sense of humor about that. <laughs> what I do like, though, is like, yeah, the, the professor's sort of like, hi, I'm the professor. He's introducing himself. And the possessed succubus woman just starts laughing maniacally, just so hard at him. So... Okay, now let me ask you this. I was confused because what it seems like is, at least what I thought is, this whole thing was there's clearly some sort of possession or demon or something happening, and it is trying to get closer and closer to this professor who has this tablet. That's what I thought. So now that she was in the room with the tablet, she was sort of revealing who she was, and she's acting sort of like this maniacal laughter, as you said. But what just happens is she laughs, and then they just leave. Yeah. Because the guy feels awkward that she's leaving, and I was like, so what? Why was she? Why was she laughing that way? I I assume she saw his open shirt and the cravat and like the open chest hair. <laughs> and was just like, look at this, look at this Joker. But but it's funny because it's like it's that thing where you know you do it right before a commercial and you go, oh no, what what's gonna happen? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. She just left. <laughs> yeah, she just left. She just laughed and then left. It was a weird interaction for everybody, but that's fine. And then later on, I think it's it's probably. 10 minutes from now in the episode where she comes back and she's like, Hey, sorry, I, I laughed. And he's like, yeah, I guess I overreacted. Yeah. Yeah. The, anyway. the student she's into is just like, Oh yeah. Okay. No problem. You're pretty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, 
Kolchak now, he knows about the word Sumerian, so he mm-hmm. somehow tracks down a discredited professor who is dressed like a priest as well? Yeah, he, this guy is sort of like, whatever organization he's a member of, he's sort of like the molder of them. He's in the basement, he's kind of... Um, he's real down on his luck. Yeah, he's down on his luck. He seems to be trying to like sell Kolchak like a subscription to like a newsletter or something no, to try to make he's ends trying to make meet. Mag- what is magazine it? subscription sales to <laughs> Right. So, and but yes, why is he dressed like a priest? I'm not sure. Maybe he is a priest. I don't know. But th- he's just there to give information. But then just to add to the weirdness, for whatever reason, he keeps falling asleep. Yeah, also has narcolepsy? Yeah, it's just like, and the only, I think really the only reason they do that is because they needed a quick reason for Kolchak to get the book from him, which I don't know why they need to. So he's able to do it because the guy falls asleep at one point. Yeah, it's really weird. And it's also, Kolchak can take the word Sumerian and like the idea of that and then find it. This guy gives him, well, he steals an old book from this guy, which talks about how this tablet has been found before, I think back in the Crusades or something, and some people died. And it appears to be bringing a succubus back to life. And Mm -hmm. the people who found it had originally attempted, in the book they say that like, we should destroy it. That's the only way to stop the succubus. But the people were like oh well instead let's bury it even though we know we should destroy it because we'll leave it for someone else to destroy later or something Mm -hmm. it's all it's all very very weird oh i'll mention one thing later on we see that potential professor's assistant he's reading a book some sort of archaeological book on the time period but the uh the props is so badly made and it's just a book that just says the word persia on it and it's like on an angle and it just looked so bad and i was like guys at least give it like some sort of title for a book like the persian empire or persia uh, 1500 or something it was just like persia i was like all right sure okay well this is the big climax is this guy's reading his persia book and the succubus comes in she's like hey you wanna you wanna make out and he's like yeah of course i do and we cut to (laughs) kolchak he's racing to the professor's office actually i'm gonna stop us there because there's actually a scene in between this these two are going to make out, and Kolchak has has an idea that this assistant professor's assistant is in danger. For some reason, he knows that like he sort of saw the succubus around campus and saw him sort of near this guy, and he's just like, mm, I'm suspicious that man's in danger. So he calls up that reporter who we have, the student reporter who we haven't seen all episode. Apparently, yeah, she's been gone for like forty minutes. Apparently, off screen, he's called her up because he's at the student office with her, the student press office, and he just has her calling women on campus to ask if they know of a hunky blonde man. And she, yeah, at one point she's like, she's like, he's, he's got to be better than an eight out of 10. Yeah. And finally someone she talks to on the phone is just like, this is his name. And she's like, Kolchak, we found the hunky blonde man you saw. She's like, let's go find him. She gets up from her desk. She's making calls at and Kolchak says, shut the fuck up and sit down. You're not coming with me. Yeah. And I'm like, what? What? What is happening here? It's very bizarre. Like it was... I was just like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, why did you bring this character back? And then why is like Kolchak just so mean to her at all times? It did feel like maybe in an earlier draft, she was a much more prominent character. And then after some editing, she just got left in. Like, she's just, I don't know. There's just traces of a character. It's very odd. But like, this whole thing is like, Kolchak's figured out it's a succubus. He figured out it has to do with the tablet. He somehow tracks down this woman so that she can find the name of the handsome guy Kolchak thinks is in trouble. Kolchak races out of the office and just runs to the professor's office and starts smashing. Like he could have like, he just got like, it's not like he goes to find the kid. He just races to smash the tablet. He already knew to smash. Like there's like 
I don't understand what like it was just like I don't understand what was happening at the end here. I don't know. They just had to extend it. I have to say this episode had a few things. I don't know if you noticed. There was a few scenes that I think there was length issues with this episode because at the very beginning of the episode, there's a, a scene where Kolchak's driving and it goes on for about, I would say probably 30 to 45 seconds when it should have been maybe 15 seconds. I know that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it felt long. And there's a couple like that, like, you know, that sort of shoe leather of just traveling scenes and stuff. And I was like, oh, I think there was some editing issues. It was like extend his monologue a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is the point. Kolchak races to the professor's office. He like, Starts, like, smash, trying to smash the, like, tablet. And the professor's like, don't smash my tablet. And then we we cut back to where the hunky student's making out with the succubus. And she, of course, is, like, starts screaming because someone's smashing her tablet and becomes, like, the, the desiccated corpse we've seen before. And I was just like, okay, well, this guy's dead now. He just saw the, he just saw the succubus. But I guess he's not, like, he's just like, oh, well, we didn't make out long enough for me to be dead, I guess. So I'm fine. Yeah. Because I'm like, I, everything that happened to the last guy happened to you, but whatever. The succubus obviously races out of this room, runs back to the professor's, like, study to stop Kolchak from smashing the the tablet, tablet. but Kolchak smashes it. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, and, like, and it, and she, it like, kills dro- her. she drops dead, and it does something we've seen before where she turns into mm. a skeleton and then a pile of dust. They've done this yeah. before. <laughs> yeah, who was it that this happened to before? It was with that. Um, it was Jaws from James Bond on the top of the uh, on the top oh, of the skyscraper. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And then like you know, Kolchak is gonna get in trouble for smashing the ancient tablet, but because the professor saw the crazy succubus, he just says it was an accident. So Kolchak gets off the hook, and it's like that's the end of the story. And then uh, does a police captain get knocked down to a, to a lower rank? No, not in this episode. I mean, I assume off screen. <laughs> <laughs> The, the professor should have got knocked down to like a TA or something. They're like, and that professor, he got knocked down to a lower rank of teacher's assistant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but that's two episodes. Two, I would almost say, it's not the right word, but almost zany episodes. Yeah, I, I agree. They're both definitely wacky. Or I, I think the first one wackier than usual. Because Copper, we haven't said it yet. Chopper, pardon me. Chopper, Headless Biker. It wasn't written by, that's not the credit, but the story by credit went to Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale mm-hmm. on that one. So an early Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, probably they wrote a story for Kolchak and they picked it up and someone else kind of did the writing for it. Yeah. And uh, let's, well, let's rate it. Let's talk about the writings. Um, okay. I'll start with Chopper. And like, it's really cheesy. Like the effects are certainly like bargain basement. Yeah. But Headless Biker, and they do it in kind of a very fun way, like over and like, it doesn't work very well, like, from a structural plotting perspective, but, like, there's lots of fun little scenes, and I really, like, I just love watching this, like, headless biker with a little bone sticking at his neck jumping yeah. over a police car. Like, it has a lot of fun to it. It's not a great episode, but it's a fun episode. I'm going to give 6.5. I'll tell you, I would take a guy with gigantic shoulders so you can't see his head over a CGI version of this any day. I don't care that it looks hokey. It looks way better than... Uh, most like silver robot Marvel villains that are at the end of movies. They look terrible. So I, I, yeah, I, I feel the same. This was kind of like weirdly hokey. And I have a feeling, and maybe I'd be wrong. I have a feeling the show is going to start getting lighter as we go. Um, just in tone. Cause that's hurt. It feels like it. I know. And you're, you're right. It wouldn't hurt it. I, I, I would have a reason. I watched this really late last night. Uh, I was tickled uh, seven out of 10. That's great. I mean, honestly, it's it's cheesy, it's campy, but like I actually think it's something that Kolchak can do well. Yeah. Uh, well, because and- you know the thing is, Kolchak can remain Kolchak. He can remain f- 
focused and grumpy and dealing with all these he's dark already, elements, but they can be yeah, zany. Yeah, he's already bumbly. Yeah. So it doesn't hurt the like tone of the show. Like he's he's focused and doing it, but he's also a bit of a bumbling hero, and he's not always mm-hmm. right on top of it. I don't like his recent developments of like his attitude toward women. I'm not loving that development, but like <laughs> in general, he's like a fun character to like bumble along with. So the, it doesn't hurt the tone. Like yeah, it's kind of like Mulder. He's a bit of a goof, so you can get away with some goofy stuff. Whereas if he was like a smoldering like sexy like hard case it's not gonna work agreed and uh so the next episode one of the 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 oddest episodes we've seen what do you think of that one demon and lace uh listen when i saw what it was gonna be i thought it was gonna be a lot more scandalous and like get kind of like keep it on ladies in the showers in general when a movie or tv show uses the concept of a succubus i mean we i think we saw it on um Dream- sleepwalkers there was like a succubus in the mines killing the men and it was like so bad it was such a bad episode and like really gross gender politics to it. oh yeah that's right i forgot about that and this shockingly like both the men and the women involved were victims to a like ancient being who is like doing stuff and it, so it didn't feel quite as like cynical as some of the other things we've seen i think it's a huge mess like the two random guest stars who showed up for no reason like I, I mm-hmm. felt like I lean a little bit toward liking it, but like I, it was just such a mess. I'm gonna go five point five. I know what you're gonna say. This this episode for me is uh, there was an episode of Tech War way back when when uh, <laughs> uh, uh, what's to say Greg Evigan was uh, I don't know some woman died and she was in a robot like in a in a robo coffin and he was holding her hand or something and you would you would get really irritated how high I rated it and. Uh, this is going to be the episode for me. For I know I agree with you in everything. This, for all intents and purposes, is a mess of an episode. And again, I think there was some severe editing problems in this. I think it explains why Rosalind's in the very beginning of the episode and the very end of the episode. Maybe it was scheduling. Who knows? But for whatever reason, this episode, I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought it was silly and dumb. Seven and a half out of ten. Wow. It hit you at the right time. Yeah, it really did. I mean... It's fun when we both experience different episodes. <laughs> I th- actually, I think uh, uh, in the last four or so episodes, I think our ratings have actually have gone pretty far apart. I mean, definitely last week we felt very differently about it. I mean, mm. we're not quite as far apart this week, but still, I think a bit far apart is how we feel about them. Yeah, but what do you know? What do you think is going to happen the next uh, next few episodes? Do you think it's going to find its footing this show, or do you think it's going to get zanier? Do you think it's going to get uh, more low budget what do you think i mean here's the thing there's only four left and yeah. i have to feel like the writing's on the wall for everybody at this point so i like i truly think like i, I think at this late in the series i think they know something's the axe is coming for them it, it could get really lazy it could get really wild i think it could go anyway right at this point yeah i know i'm kind of excited to see because i think you're right i think probably everyone involved was like hey we got four weeks left of this show so well, let's see what happens. Let, let's let's see where this is going, I guess. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, um, if you have anything you want to email us about, you can get us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, I love to get your emails. I, I, Jordan, one of these days, I'm going to do a mailbag segment, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, we should. People have been writing and saying nice things. And I never I never, I never, never say anything ever. I just Year, read it and delete it. I was going to say, years ago, it actually was years ago. I think it was in the first season. We did we did one where people, uh, I, I read out things that people uh, didn't like that we said, like to corrections. Did we do that? Yeah, yeah. Year, that was like season one, I think. Oh, that, you know, <laughs> to be fair, the corrections you read out were all from Guest Jane. 
I, I think I, I think probably some of them were. You're probably right. Um, I mean, she was right about all of them. <laughs> uh, at any rate, moving beyond email, I assume I said the address. If I didn't, oh well. Uh, you can also get clips of this show on Instagram and Twitter. The handles there is at Continuum Drag. Uh, definitely mm-hmm. going to be some headless bike trips, bike tricks coming your way. Um, maybe some some freeze frames of people getting their heads cut off. Uh, a desiccated corpse giving you a kiss. Mm-hmm. It's all going to be um, there. Maybe a guest star is just saying tuna. <laughs> <laughs> what a clip. Um, but that's it, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us this week. And Jordan, I'll see you next week. I will see you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.